0: I'd like to welcome Steve Albrecht to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. And just a little bit of a background on Steve, he loves talking with with librarians, whether they're from schools, colleges, universities, special libraries, law libraries, any kind of library you can name. But he talks to to the employees about service and safety and security, which is a really awesome topic that we've never discussed on this um, podcast before. So Steve, I want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Laura. Very
0: welcome. Okay. So as we're getting started, is there anything else you want to just add about your background to help us know a little bit more about where you're coming from as you talk to us today?
1: Well, I originally uh, am known in the United States and around the world for workplace violence prevention. I wrote the first book on workplace violence in 1994. Uh, I interviewed a double murderer in that book. And so I've been since 1994 up until around 2000 when Columbine happened, I was really focused on workplace violence. And okay. then school violence prevention as well, especially school, K through 12 schools. And in 2000, I got a call from a group of folks called Info People, and they're in California. They're a grant-funded library training program. And they said, can you come to libraries? You're a workplace violence guy. Can you come to libraries in California? I was living in San Diego at the time, where I lived most of my life, and, and help us with library security. And I said, what could possibly be going on at the library where you need a guy like me? Yeah. So it, it's just about books and periodicals, and it's a peaceful place. And I said, well can we send you around to some libraries in California so you can see what's going on? And back in 2000, I went to Sacramento, uh, San Francisco, Berkeley, San Jose, uh, Los Angeles, San Diego libraries, and kind of got a feel by talking to the directors and the staff about what was happening to them in terms of potential uh, problems around crime and and safety and security and conflict and fights and things like that were happening. The library people were either uh, observing or experiencing. And so that became my start back in 2000 uh, with this subject.
0: Okay. Honestly, it's something I have never, ever thought about. Um, I've been fortunate, you know, to not have to have, you know, needed to think about it. But I mean, in hindsight, it's something that we all need to know a lot about. Um, So today, most of the audience that that we're talking to today is going to be school librarians. Um, So what would you say are some specific safety or security concerns that um, they might be able to help with on their campuses.
1: So one of the issues that we see with, with school librarians is that oftentimes they build rapport and connection with lots and lots of students. Mm-hmm. It may be the same rapport and connection that the counselors build or a, a, a PE coach or something like that, especially in the K through 12 environment, especially, um, you know, really younger kids. And then that really, that that impressionable time period, six, six through ninth grade, right around their middle school, uh, where they can build rapport and they may be, and I you know, I credit them for this, they may be the ones that see bullying, they may yeah. be the ones that see or hear about abuse of this, of this particular kid. And in my work, especially in, in school violence prevention, we're always looking at what are the drivers for school violence and oftentimes bullying is a significant concern. Um, this child feels uh, attacked by other kids and doesn't know where to turn to. And that's where they, some of them start to think about about school violence. And those are the cases that we've seen around the country, really, as Columbine in 2000 is sort of the kickoff for that, yeah. that particular issue. So school librarians can really um, have a a connection to kids where they hear stuff. And they may be able to report to the safety and security stakeholders at the school about what they hear, and we can talk about who the safety and security stakeholders. But I, I credit them for their ability to build rapport and also to be in in contact with kids who may be troubled or troubling.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know that's something that librarians focus on a lot. Uh, their training uh, is going to talk about them creating a warm and welcoming environment. Um, you know, just different things they're going to have at the national level with standards that we have. Um, as well as like things that we do at our, our state, you know, and district kind of level. But one of our goals, you know, is creating that kind of warm welcoming environment where everybody feels welcome. Um, you know, and a lot of times we will even say that, that some of the outsiders do find their place, you know, in the library. You know, we, we just have a way of, con- of making that connection like you were talking about. Um, but I know a lot of times, you know, we will hear things Um, Maybe it's gossip, you know, (laughs) or we'll think of it as, you know, student gossip or, or we might, somebody might show us something like a social media posting. But so how, how valuable is that when it comes to assessing school threats?
1: So that's a great a great question. I, I was trained back in the day by the U.S. Marshals and the FBI and the Secret Service. And those are the ones that really focus on the workplace violence and school violence response in this country. The Secret Service um, uh, wrote some really seminal documents uh, and briefing books about about school violence and workplace violence because they went back and they looked at these attacks. FBI did the same thing and wrote a lot of the same literature, mm-hmm. all, all of which you can see online. Um, they, they wrote a lot of uh, treaties about what these kids said or did before these attacks in in school violence and the primary issue and what you just spoke on is leakage and leakage is when a kid tells somebody, and here's the interesting part. They don't tell the target. They tell somebody around them what they're going to do. So the kid that wants to shoot the football coach does not tell the football coach because there'd be consequences. He'd be expelled or arrested or put in a mental health facility or something would happen, Mm -hmm. which would interrupt his plan. What these kids do and adults do the same thing we've learned in our research is they leak and they will leak to uh, 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 somebody they trust or know or like in the school environment could be, a, could be a librarian, could be a teacher. It could be a, typically it's mostly often is, is other students. The challenge we face in the K through 12 environment is how do we get those kids that hear that leakage and also staff, if they hear that leakage, who do they tell? And so, especially with kids, there's a, you know, sort of no snitch culture and the yeah. sense that, that even talking about something dangerous or potentially dangerous or life-changing, like a school violence attack to a, to an adult is something they don't want to do. There's a lot of stigma about that they just don't want to do. So really progressive schools have set up tip lines and hotlines, ways that kids can and adults, especially in the community, parents, things like that, can contact these, these tip lines and say, here's what my kid heard or here's what I've heard or here's what's come back to me. Gossip can be quite true oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And, and these things are early indicators. This leakage is when I, especially when I do school threat assessment team training, we, we say to the staff, pay attention to what this kid is telling him because they are foreshadowing sometimes what they want to do. And they're looking to see what your response is going to be. Do you try to talk them out of it? Do you, do you try to get them referred to somebody that they're looking for your response? And sometimes the reason that they leak, they either, they can't help it or they want to be talked out of it. And that's why it's so important to pay attention to what these kids say.
0: Okay. So I guess we just go with the assumption that anything shared is a legitimate Concern? Well,
1: it's tough because you have to put things into context. You say, yeah. you know, you know, if somebody says, "I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse," I don't, I don't call the stables, right? Mm-hmm. We got to put stuff into context. And so, how much of of what we see, especially with with um, kids that are younger, that you know, is it just immaturity? Is it is it is it social immaturity? Is it they're bragging? H- how do we put those things into context? And the most reasonable way to put things into context is to talk to the other safety and security stakeholders on campus. That's that's principal, vice principal, counselors, uh, school nurse, um, people like that, that we can put together into a team approach and say, here's what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? Are we seeing anything that's related to social media postings or like that? Can we put some of these mosaic tiles together to make the total picture? Some schools even subscribe to a service, which which uh, scans social media and all its various and sundry forms to look for references to their particular school to see oh, if they wow. should be concerned about things that kids post.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So you mentioned, you know, like who the potential safety contacts are, you know, on campus, like what, what kind of information would we need to share with them if, if we think we've heard something?
1: So a lot of times people hear things and, and, you know, you know I'll give you a parallel. I, I teach mandated reporting for teachers. And so the mandated reporting is going to be for child abuse, typically. And so you say, well, they must certainly know about this issue, or they must certainly know about this this piece of information that I have, or other other teachers were exposed to as well. What I always say to them is, you as an individual school employee could contribute the one piece of information they don't know. So when we're reporting, say, child abuse or, or you know, child sexual exploitation or something like that, you could pr- provide a piece of information to the social workers that, and that folks that answer the CPS hotlines that they don't know. And so it's the same thing in school violence prevention, which is you may have a piece of the puzzle. And in, in that situation, I look at janitors. I look at bus drivers. I look at school aides, uh, teach, teacher's aides. I look at um, uh, special ed teacher's aides. Everybody that has contact with a with a child can contribute some of the information that we may be able to do uh, to put together and say, this this fills out the puzzle more useful for us to make an assessment as to the potential for violence.
0: Okay. All right. Very, very interesting. All right. so um you kind of mentioned a team of people um is that what you're what you call a threat assessment team
1: yeah so so in the wake of Columbine in the wake of shootings at, at k-12 schools and colleges and universities there's really been a, a huge uh, uh, emphasis around the United States put on the creation of a threat assessment team process some schools call them okay. critical incident team or crisis response team something like that but the threat assessment team process says we have a lot of smart people a lot of Intellectual IQ points all gathered together every single day. And each of these folks can bring something to the table based on their, their respective uh, skill set. For example, uh, uh, the IT manager, IT director for the school district should be on the threat assessment team. He mm-hmm. or she can help with interpreting posted threats or email threats, things like that. Uh, the facilities director, uh, maintenance and facilities, um, uh, or, or what they call in a lot of schools MO, maintenance and operations director, can be on the threat assessment team as well to talk about cameras or to talk about lighting or access control or key cards or all the things that we use to keep the school environment safe. So when I talk about the safety and security stakeholders, it's principal, vice principal, uh, counselors, it's, it's uh, uh, senior teachers, uh, uh, master teachers, it's it's uh, teachers that are in specific environments, a school resource officer, if you have that relationship with the police department or sheriff's department, those folks come together either in person or via Zoom or something like that and say, what do we have? What do we know? How do we interpret this information? And each one of those people in their respective areas can provide expertise, like the cops have certain expertise. We can use school psychologists, school psychiatrists, things like that, that have really specific expertise to help us interpret what to do. Okay. You know, and one of the things I think, Laura, that maybe people get confused on from watching TV is that there's some sort of profile of a school violence perpetrator,
0: yeah, and, and there's
1: not. It's, we don't focus on, on anything other than what these kids do or say, what is their behavior. What is their behavior and does that behavior lead a reasonable person to, to worry about harm to self or harm to others? And we certainly seen these cases around the country where they harm others and then they kill themselves. So we wanna pay attention to the suicidal child, the potentially homicidal child. And the best way to do that is the threat assessment team process.
0: Okay, so if you're, it sounds like then you would recommend possibly that the librarians be on that team or have some kind of a inroad, you know, to get, to be able to share um, with that team.
1: Yeah, and, and the issue for any, anybody, including the school librarians, is you, you don't have to necessarily sit in on the entire conversation about what we're going to do, but you can say, can I come in and talk about, that's why we ask school districts and schools to publicize the, uh, the, uh, the availability and, uh, and uh, actual presence of a threat assessment team to say, it's not a secret. You, mm-hmm. you, you, we have it posted on our websites, we have it posted in our, our teachers break rooms, we, we focus on the idea that every piece of information that you can provide to us could be very useful, and, and we're, we're not going to shoot the messenger. We're not going to value judge you where you got it from. We're just going to say, tell us what you know. Thanks for coming in. So the librarian could just come in for a brief conversation with the rest of the team members to talk about it, or the librarian could be on the team as well as a, as a resource. And especially I see this a lot in smaller districts where or smaller campuses where many people will have to play different roles on the on the school threat assessment team. So you may not have a relationship with the school. You may not have a relationship with the PD or sheriff to have a school resource officer on campus, or he or she may show up having five other campuses plus yours, but you could also call the local PD or sheriff and say, can we get a representative and in my perfect world, lieutenant or above to come to this meeting and talk about what we're discussing and have his or her input as to what we need to do.
0: Okay. All right. So just, just from your experience in the back um, from, from the past, what would you say are some emergency procedures that school librarians should consider?
1: Well, um, you you know, there's a case I I remember I was on a panel with a woman who was a school librarian in Kentucky and Mm -hmm. and, uh, the perpetrator, it was a high school, the perpetrator who was a student shot and and killed several students on campus and then ran to the library and hid with other kids. And so there was such chaos, a lot of kids ran into the library in the school library, and then they locked it down as we're trained to do Mm -hmm. and included the perpetrator. So, I mean, obviously she didn't know that until, until some time had passed and the cops got there and figured out what was going on. So, so, you know, one of the things that we ask all um, school employees that have access to being able to lock down their particular building, whether it's a classroom or the library or the, you know, the janitor's office, that they do that, they follow that lockdown process. Mm -hmm. One, One thing that, that most business people have been trained in And this is, you know, because we're not coming into the 20, you know, almost 30 years of this workplace violence, school violence problem in this country, this epidemic of mass shootings is is the run, hide, fight perspective, which is run out of the facility, the classroom, the building as fast as you can, take as many people with you. The second, if that's not possible, then lock it down. Mm -hmm. And locking it down is something that most teachers, especially in the K through 12 environment, already know how to do. They do lockdown drills once or twice a year for sure. I, I've never mm-hmm. seen a school that did, didn't do at least one a year yeah. along with a fire drill or a weather related type of a drill. So most teachers, most library employees, uh, school library employees, most school employees know about that lockdown process. So if we can't get out of the building safely, then the second uh, reasonable thing is to lock it down. And the lockdown process is is now being improved by technology. Teachers can lock down their door without leaving their desk you know, electronically. Um, they can. There are all kinds of blocking devices and and you know door wedges and things like that 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 teachers are now being asked to use. Okay,
0: all right. So you mentioned that run, hide, fight model. What what is the Alice approach?
1: So there's sort of a debate in my industry, and and we have sort of strong proponents on one side or the other. Uh, the run, hide, fight model is the national model for school violence and workplace violence prevention. Run out of the facility, hide out in the in lockdown, shelter-in-place modality as best as you can, and then have the adults fight back in in the situation where this this kid comes onto campus. Uh, and in those situations, the fighting part is sort of a uh, an interesting thing. We, we have this sort of sense from TV and movies that these are these are Navy SEALs gone bad or, you know, rogue Marines. They're not, they're just kids with guns. And that doesn't mean we can't, we can't stop them. I'm not asking, you know, library teachers to put their lives on the line, but we can stop these kids. And we've seen lots of examples where, you know, the football coach tackles the kid in the hallway and stops the problem. Mm-hmm. At The other end of the spectrum is, is the Alice model. And that's one that's really kind of specific to schools. Alice, is A-L-I-C-E alert, lockdown, inform, counter, and evacuate. Okay. Well. I'm a bear of small brain, said Winnie the Pooh. And so run, hide, fight tends to be something that's more memorable to me and easier to remember. Um, I think ALICE is the same uh, wine in a different bottle. And and there are a lot of ALICE practitioners out there, oftentimes ex-law enforcement and security people that that have their own version of teaching it. Uh, I have found in my work in in 25 plus years of teaching the concepts that run, hide, fight seems to be things that most people, especially under the extreme stress of the moment, remember easier.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. All right. So when so if if someone is listening today and they're kind of new to their position and uh, just, you know, they've been so worried about other things, you know, getting started on their campus, what would you say would really be like some first steps that they should think about um, as far as library safety?
1: I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, a library, um, a school library, employee library in that position, uh, pay attention to what kind of resources exist on campus. Do you have a safety committee? Do you have a threat assessment team? Do you have a group of, of teachers that get together and talk about behavior issues and bullying and concerns on, on campus? Get involved with that group. The second, pay attention to how you secure your particular library. How do you secure this, this facility, this building, which could be quite large. It could be one of the bigger b- buildings on campus. How do you secure that, that, that building so that you could lock it down, lock all the kids that need to stay inside, safely inside while you wait for the first responders? I mean, one of the things probably, Laura, you already know from your, your experience in seeing these things is the police are usually eight to 10 minutes away nationally, and they've all been trained in run hide fight. I've, I've trained thousands of cops in my, in my career in this, and, and they know what to do once they get there. If we can get our kids and other staff members and other employees you know, inside a place like the school library and lock it down, then we're going to be much more likely to survive the event because these perpetrators, when they get to an, a locked door, they move on. They know that from their own seeing of these cases around the country that the cops are going to get there. They either shoot it out with the cops, or they or they give up, or they kill themselves. So if we can get everybody locked down as quickly and safely as possible, that's an important part. And then the other thing is, you know, like we talked about, is what is that rapport building? What is that connection you have as a school library employee with those kids, especially those kids who are, who seem picked on, who seem bullied, who seem troubled, who have that kind of um, personality which draws the bullies out of the woodwork to to pick on them. That's really a big driver, a big motivating factor for school violence. I want to get back at somebody even fatally um, um, by but with, at somebody who has, has teased me, bullied me, threatened me, harmed me, that kind of a thing. So I, I look at those three characteristics as great first steps.
0: Okay. All right. Um, well, lots to consider here. Um, So I know that you have published a book. Um, So if people are looking for more information, um, that's one thing that they could um, find. uh, You published with ALA, the Library Security, Better Communications, Safer Facilities. Could you tell us a little bit about that book so people could look for it it if something they think would help them?
1: Sure. Um, uh, I started doing uh, uh, webinars for ALA back in about 2010, and around 2013, 2014, uh, they said, "Could you do a book on library security?" And some of your listeners may know that that the book that I was, uh, they may know the book that I was replacing, which is called "The Black Belt Librarian," which is written by a guy named Warren Graham. So he he retired, and and that that book was you know pretty pretty old. So they said, "We're looking for a book that's sort of." fills in the gap for the Black Belt Librarian. So I wrote the library security book in 2015, and it, it's been out ever since. So I've got another one coming out, which is uh, how much I've learned in in seven years from, from that time span called the Safe Library. Uh, that's done. Uh, I'm finishing the manuscript now, Roman and Littlefield. It should be out by the end of the year.
0: Okay. Um, and I, I see that that's a subtitle, keeping staff and patrons secure in a changing world. So
1: we talk about stuff like the pandemic and and, you know, uh, patrons experiencing homelessness and patrons, patrons of mental health issues and and patrons of substance abuse issues dealing with kids, teenagers. Um, lots of stuff that we've kind of touched on here today. I just go into greater detail and it's really a, a, an evolution of what I learn every time I talk with folks like you or my library clients when I do training, which is, um, you know, these days quite a lot because this subject now that we're back from the pandemic is coming back again. Now the libraries are open again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many are focusing on, you know, they're just seeing that need to focus on social emotional topics right now because our kids have just been so isolated, you know, for so long. Um just it's a different. Yeah, I,
1: I would like to also add that I have a, a, a colleague, Steve Hargadon. Uh, Steve is well known in the in the library world. Also, he has a, a lot of people that know him very well in the um, school world. He does. Um, uh, uh, he has a website called Library 2.0. So it's library 20com uh, H.A.R.G.A.D.O.N. And, and Hargadon also has a school uh, 2.0, schools 2.0. So he's uh, uh, involved with schools, K-12 environment and involved with uh, libraries at, at all levels. So I do a couple of podcasts a month for Hargadon at library2.0.com. Um, I do a couple of um, uh, blogs for him and we do one or two uh, paid webinars every month on a variety of subjects related to safety, security and service leadership and things like that. So it's aimed at... at at library staff at all levels, schools, law libraries, special libraries, public city, county libraries. And also um, Steve's got a a strong background in the schools piece too. In the library 2.0, there's about 65,000 library people that are members. It's free. Uh, We don't pester you with a lot of emails. It just, we just tell you what's going on in the library world. And a lot of people seem to like it.
0: Okay. So listeners, if you visit the website, larashinneman.com, I will have um, links to these sites that he's talking about so that you can check them out yourself. Um, Steve, are y'all on any social media or anything like where you send out tips or announcements or?
1: I am on Twitter at, it's uh, Dr. Steve Albrecht. So it's DR and then Steve and then my last name Albrecht. So I'm on Twitter at Dr. Steve Albrecht. And uh, also I have a website, which is obviously drstevealbrecht.com. Same thing. Uh, um, there's lots of library articles there. There's some articles on, on safety in the workplace. Um, I've written 24 books. You can get access to all those through my uh, Amazon's author page uh, okay. and see me there as well.
0: All right, well, we will link to that as well. And so, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Do you have any kind of closing comments or anything you want to share with the audience?
1: I I think that people in the school environment, school library folks, and people that are the teachers and counselors are really on the forefront of helping us stop the school violence issue because they're getting these kids at a young impressionable age they can tell us what we need to pay attention to we can stop these these cases before they happen these horrific uh, tragedies before they happen and they're helping these kids grow up to be good adults and that's what we want as well
0: yeah definitely well thank you so much for sharing your your tips today um good learning i hope that none of us ever have to experience that ourselves but uh, the, the the trauma side of it all but very good things to know and and just to mentally be prepared um, for, for what the possibilities could be. But thanks again, and I look forward to checking out your websites more and, and checking out the Library 2.0 and Schools
1: 2.0. Thanks, Omar.
0: Bye-bye.